Good morning. It's um, great to be back with you again this morning. Please ignore what's going on behind me. Best laid plans with technology and everything. Computer was working fine last night. It's decided it's going to do a little bit of a funny thing. If it has corrected itself by the sermon, everything is brilliant and peachy. If it hasn't, we'll unplug it. But um, a bit like us, it's preparing to configure too. Um, let me read as we begin our service this morning. Psalm 32 starts like this. It says, Blessed are those whose transgressions are forgiven, whose sins are covered. Blessed are those whose sin the Lord does not count against them, and in whose spirit is no deceit. When I kept silent, my bones wasted away, though my groaning all day long. For day and night your hand was heavy on me, my strength was sapped as in the heat of summer. Then I acknowledged my sin to you, and I didn't cover up my iniquity. I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord, and you forgave the guilt of my sin. Therefore, let all the faithful pray to you while you may be found. Surely the rising of the mighty waters will not reach them. You are my hiding place. You will protect me from trouble and surround me with songs of deliverance. You know, this morning we come to worship God because God is worthy of our worship. But we come as people who are forgiven. And it's that kind of forgiveness that we're going to be looking at throughout the service in different ways with different characters being involved in that. So as well as us coming to worship God and to praise God, we come asking God to continue to forgive us. Because I don't know about you, but this week there's some stuff that I need forgiven of. And the great news is God does. And we come this morning to be corrected, to be challenged, to be encouraged, all of that together. And we do that as a gathered people, because we need one another. We need to be able to remind one another that God is good, that God forgives, and actually to help surround each other with songs of deliverance. And so that's what we're going to do as we sing together our hymn of approach. together. Father, thank you for the new day and for all the possibilities that it contains. And thank you that this morning you bid us come, you call us to yourself in the presence of one another. God, we ask that you would teach us. We're open and ready to receive what you want to say to us today. Would you encourage us and show us how much you love us and what that means? 
um, where needed would you challenge us? That as we go from here this morning, we would be shaped more into your likeness. And in all of it, would you do it for your son's glory? For we ask it in his name. Amen. One year I decided to give up chocolate and coffee at the same time. Not a good combination. Not for a little while anyway. Um, but I don't know, has anyone given up chocolate for Lent this year? No, that's good. Is anyone else like me and likes chocolate? Okay, that's fine. My favourite at the moment is um, Galaxy Counters. Have you tried them? It's like Galaxy Chocolate just without the hard shell. So it's just the chocolate. So good. Um, yeah, I kind of hide them from the children a little bit. Um, Aside from that, I love white chocolate with strawberry in it. Anything with white chocolate is good. But in reality, actually, any chocolate is good. Any chocolate is good chocolate. And I brought some with me this morning because I was feeling in a bit of a generous mood. And uh, I wonder if anyone would like to try some of my chocolate this morning. Anyone? Oh, Joyce. Go for it. Thank you. Would you like one too? Yep, you want to go for it too? Oh, you might want to pick a different one. They were in the fridge overnight. Go for it, just to have a bite, see what you think. Anyone else? You want to go for one too? Oh, you, yeah. What do you think? Is it nice? Um, if you can't see a face here, it's a little bit like, well, uh, Joyce, are you trying to subtly get rid of it? <laughs> <laughs> Would you like one of these, Joyce? <laughs> it's not cabbage, but it's that thing that we all love at Christmas dinner. Brussels sprouts. Do you manage to eat it all? Oh, okay. Joyce, are you can have that? Anyone else need one of these then? You're being very clever. You're eating round the chocolate round it. Anyone else eating the chocolate round it? Do you need a bit to spit it out? Are you okay? Yeah, you're just letting rid of it now too. I'll take it back. Ugh. 
they looked good on the outside, but as soon as you bit into them, Joyce's face was a picture, they're not nice. It may look good, but it certainly didn't taste good. And in fact, not everything that looks good to us is necessarily going to be good for us, is it? Not everything that looks good on the outside is in fact good for us. And in today's passage that we're going to look at, that's what they discovered, that's what the younger son discovered. Let me read it to you. We often know it as the parable of the lost son or the parable of the prodigal son. In reality, lots of people think that it should really be called the parable of the forgiving father. But this is what it it says in Luke 15. Jesus continued. He continued because he just finished telling two other parables about um, things that were lost and what happened when they were found. So the parable of the lost sheep and the parable of the lost coin. So he says, Jesus continued. There was a man who had two sons. The younger one said to his father, Father, give me my share of the estate. So he divided his property among them. Not long after that, the younger son got together all he had and set off for a distant country and there squandered his wealth in wild living. After he'd spent everything, there was a severe famine in that whole country and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to a citizen of that country who sent him into his field to feed the pigs. Not a nice job, is it? He longed to fill his stomach with the pods that the pigs were eating, but no one gave him anything. When he came to his senses, he said, How many of my father's hired servants have food to spare, and here I am, starving to death. I will set out, go back to my father, and say to him, Father, I've sinned against heaven and against you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son, but make me like one of your hired servants. So he got up and went to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and filled with compassion for him, he ran to his son, threw his arms around him and kissed him. The son said to him, Father, I've sinned against heaven and against you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, Quick, quick, bring the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. Bring the fattened calf and killed it. Let's have a feast and let's celebrate. For this son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. And so they began to celebrate. Meanwhile... Meanwhile, the elder son was in the field. When he came near the house, he held music and dancing. And so he called to one of the servants and asked him what was going on. Your brother's come home, he said. And your father's killed the fattened calf because he has him back safe and sound. The elder brother became angry and refused to go in. But he, so his father came out and pleaded with him. But he answered his father, Look, all these years I've been slaving for you and never disobeyed your orders. Yet you never even gave me a young goat so I could celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours comes back, who has squandered your property with prostitutes, you kill the fattened calf for him. My son, the father said, you're always with me and everything I have is yours. But we had to celebrate and be glad because this brother of yours was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. Maybe the parable of the forgiven father is a better title for it. Because you see, both the younger son and the elder son, they had choices to make. The younger son thought it was a good idea to take his share of the inheritance and go off and do his own thing. I don't know whether he thought his money was going to last forever or what was going on in his head, but he thought that was the best idea. And very quickly, he realised that it wasn't. What had looked good on the outside actually ended up hurting him and destroying him, and he had to come back and ask for forgiveness. But then you have the older son, and he's been there the whole time, and yet for him, he thinks that being angry and all that kind of attitude is good for him and actually it probably didn't even look good on the outside and my guess is it made him feel even worse on the inside they had choices to make 
And the good news in the story is that when they came back and realized the mistakes they'd made, the father was more than willing to forgive them. And he does the same for you and me when we make mistakes. Sometimes it's because we think there's stuff that's good for us that turns out not to be. Whether it's good decisions that we think we're making in terms of our friendship groups or in life choices. But it turns out not to be. The father can forgive us and make it right. Or sometimes actually it's just our attitude that stinks a little bit. We think we're making good choices there but it turns out not to be. The father can forgive that. Because he shows his elder son just how much he loves him still. Even though that's not what the son sees. Though the father forgives, it would be good if we're thinking about our choices. To think about how we involve the father in our choices before we make them though. Even though we know God forgives, it would be good for us to ask for his input before running off and doing our own thing. Because actually, what the father wanted for his sons would have been what God wants for us. He would have wanted the best for them. And so I wonder this week as we go about making our decisions, maybe eating some chocolate, maybe reminding ourselves not to eat too much chocolate, if actually we need to also take time to say, God, what is it you want for us? How can you be involved in the decisions that we make today, from the people that we speak to, to what we say, to the attitude that we have? And if we wouldn't discover something of that betterness that God has for us. Why don't we pray together and ask God's help in that. God, we recognise that we have choices to make all the time. In terms of our friends, in terms of um, decisions at school and at college. And the attitudes that we have. Would you help us to ask you what you want for us and to try and follow that? We know that sometimes that might not always be easy or what we would want to do, but help us to see that you always have what's best for us in mind. And when we do mess up, because we know we always will, would you help us to come to you quickly and ask you for forgiveness and not just hide it away? Thank you that you're always forgiven for us, that you always extend that to us, and that your love for us is immense. Help us to know that in the week ahead, in the ups and downs of it, for we ask it in your name. Amen. We're going to sing together the song, God of Hope Be With Us.
The reading today is from Luke chapter 15, verses 1 to 3 and then 11 to 32. One day when many tax collectors and other outcasts came to listen to Jesus, the Pharisees and the teachers of the law started grumbling. This man welcomes outcasts and even eats with them. So Jesus told them this parable. Jesus went on to say, There was once a man who had two sons. The younger one said to him, Father, give me my share of the property now. So the man divided his property between his two sons. After a few days, the younger son sold his part of the property and left home with the money. He went to a country far away where he wasted his money in reckless living. He spent everything he had. Then a severe famine spread over that country and he was left without a thing. So he went to work for one of the citizens of that country who sent him out to his farm to take care of the pigs. He wished he could fill himself with bean pods the pigs ate, but no one gave him anything to eat. At last he came to his senses and said, All my father's hired workers have more than they can eat, and here I am about to starve. I will get up and go to the father and say, Father, I have sinned against God and against you. I am no longer fit to be called your son. Treat me as one of your hired workers. So he got up and started back to his father. He was still a long way from home when his father saw him. His heart was filled with pity and he ran, threw his arms round his son and kissed him. Father, the son said, I have sinned against God and against you. I am no longer fit to be called your son. But the father called his servants. Hurry, he said, bring the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his finger and shoes on his feet. Then go and get the prized calf and kill it, and let us celebrate with a feast. For this son of mine was dead, but now he is alive. He was lost, but now he has been found. And so the feasting began. In the meantime, the elder son was out in the field. On his way back, when he came close to the house, he heard the music and dancing. So he called one of the servants and asked him, What's going on? Your brother has come back home, the servant answered, and your father has killed a prized calf because he got him back safe and sound. The elder brother was so angry that he would not go into the house, so his father came out and begged him to come in. But he answered his father, Look, all these years I've worked for you like a slave and I've never disobeyed your orders. What have you given me? Not even a goat for me to have a feast with my friends. But this son of yours wasted all your property on prostitutes and when he comes back home, you kill the prized calf for him. My son, the father answered, you're always here with me and everything I have is yours. But we had to celebrate and be happy because your brother was dead But now he is alive. He was lost, but now he has been found. Amen. Well, as we can see, it's still preparing to configure. So uh, I may ask you to use your imaginations a little bit more today, and we'll just see where we're going to end up instead. Um, it did blank itself off, so this time when it blanks itself off, I'll not bother pressing any buttons back in, just ignore it. The parable that Jesus tells about the father and his two sons is really familiar to us. 
we hear about it all the time. Even folks who wouldn't read the Bible very much will talk about prodigals returning and all of that kind of language. And it's hard when you know it so well to hear it with fresh ears almost and to not think that you know everything there already is. But the people, when Jesus was talking to them, they didn't know it. They were hearing it for the first time. And so I kind of pray that we would be a bit more like that this morning. That we would maybe hear things that we're familiar with, but just hear it as if hearing it for the first time. And so why don't we pray before we explore what the passage is saying. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you that it has power to speak into our lives and to change us and transform us as you reveal more of yourself and of Jesus to us by your spirit. Holy Spirit, would you speak to us this morning? Would we know that we are encountering God? Would you speak new things to us or fresh things to us? And yeah, would this morning we be able to leave knowing that we've met with you? Even through our familiar passage to us. For we ask it in your name. Amen. This, um, this past week, I've read a book by Henry Nguyen called The Return of the Prodigal. Has anyone read it before? A couple of folks. The rest of you don't. It's one of those books that I've had since I was in college because it came really highly recommended by Jim Gordon. You know, he's always recommending great books. And I bought it at the time and it sat and gathered dust on my shelf. Always one of those books that I wanted to read but just never quite got around to. And when I realised that we were going to be looking at this passage today, um, Lionel dusted it off and brought it through and said, you really should read this. And so let me do the same to you. If you ever get a chance to, you really should read that book. I meant to bring it with me this morning. It's got a picture of a lovely painting on the front. And just, it's very small, very easy to read and just really deep all at the same time. And while this morning I'm not going to give you any kind of in-depth analysis of his thoughts because that's not what this is about. Actually, because we know the passage so well and it's so familiar to us, it's sometimes helpful to bring in other voices and just hear what they have to say. What would have been on the screen for you is Rembrandt's painting because that's what Nguyen's book is all based around. Rembrandt, the artist, painted a couple of prodigal son paintings, but the one that is particularly pertinent is one in which you get the middle of the story. So the beginning of the story, the son goes off, does his own thing. The middle of the story, he comes back to the father. And then the end of the story, there's the big celebration. Rembrandt's painting is that middle bit when the son comes back to the father. And what it looks like, since we can't see it, if you were here earlier this morning, you might have managed to sneak a little glimpse, is the son coming back with a really disheveled look around him. His robes are in tatters. They're quite dirty looking. He's quite dirty looking. He's got a sandal that's okay and a sandal that's half off and fallen apart. He's on his knees before the son, uh, before the father. And you know that way where someone just gives you a hug and it suddenly feels like everything's okay. That's the kind of feeling that's captured with the father and the son in this moment as the son's on his knees. And the father, he looks really regal and royal. He's got some red robes on and is very old and wise and fatherly looking in that way. And then around are some other characters. So you have to look quite closely in the painting to see that there's someone standing kind of in the background. There's another couple of people just off to the side and then to the side of the father is the son, the elder son. And he's dressed fairly similarly to the father that gives you a clue that that's who he is. And that there's this painting And it's interesting because Rembrandt, when he talks about, or when he paints this painting, he doesn't paint the end or the beginning. He paints that middle bit. He picks up on the sense of relief and grief that the son would have had as he comes back to his father. 
as he comes back dishevelled and not like you'd want to. He comes back miserable. And you know, some of the painting isn't accurate like the Bible, but you know how sometimes artwork just captures the emotion that's trying to be conveyed? He's messed up, this son. We know that. We know that from the passage. He's looked for instant gratification. He wants what he wants now. No waiting, no messing about. And he kind of views the father as a bit of a means to an end. The father isn't really respected by him. Isn't really given any regard. Instead, by saying that he wants his inheritance now, what he's actually saying to his father is, I wish you were dead you would be better to me if you were dead than you were alive. And although, and, um, although provision was made in the law for that kind of request to happen, in that culture, at that time, and even still in Middle Eastern culture, that was a shocking thing to ask for, and it would bring shame on your family. And then that the father, the father would give him it would bring even more shame. The fact that the son would then turn it into money and want to go off and do his own thing heaps shame upon shame, And yet, that's exactly what the father does. He bears the shame of everything that his son's asking for and wanting to do, and is going to do, and he gives them his share in the inheritance. And it says in the passage that a few days later, the son gathers up everything and goes off. I hadn't thought about that till this week. Can you imagine what it would have been like living in the father's house for those few days? The son's made the request and said to his father, I wish you were dead. And yet he's still living off the father in the house as everything gets gathered and put together. Well, the father knows exactly what the son's going to go off and do. And the father knows it. And so does everyone else in the household. Can you imagine the kind of tension that might have been in the house? Some of the hurt feelings some of the anger and resentment of some of the others in the house. All of that was bundled up. And scripture doesn't tell us very much about it, just that after a few days, the son went off. The son goes off and he lets himself have everything that he wants, only to realise that it doesn't bring him lasting fulfilment. What he was searching for he wasn't going to find and actually when it's all done and dusted it just leaves him bruised and battered and sore and isolated and in need himself and while it may have seemed like a good idea at the time it's anything but a good idea now and it ends up costing him everything and so he ends up feeding the pigs and Jesus is quite deliberate when he says pigs the son wasn't going to be feeding anything else because pigs are considered unclean. And so Jesus is making a really shocking point. He's at the bottom of the bottom. And yet the son finds himself envious of these pigs. And so he formulates this new plan to go back to his father, to confess everything he's done, and then to try and get work as an employee. He realizes that he's messed up royally And if his father would just take him back as a servant, that would be good enough. That would definitely be a step up from where he's at now. And yet Jesus says, to the shock of everyone standing around, that while the father father saw him, while he was still a way off, he went running towards him to embrace him. Shocking because actually that heaps even more shame on it. Because for a man as wealthy as the father would have been to run would have been considered extremely undignified and just not something you did. And because he was wealthy, I don't know if you ever thought about it, but because he was wealthy, he would have had lots of robes and very regal looking. And so actually for him to run in the first place, he'd have had to gather up his skirts. I don't know, ladies, if you've ever worn really long skirts and then tried to get upstairs, you're likely to trip up. Well, this father would have been doing the same thing. So he'd have been gathering up his robes, trying to run. It would not have looked like some of these athletes look when they're running. And yet the father couldn't imagine doing anything else. 
He didn't want to wait till the, the sun came back. He wanted to get there as quickly as possible. And before the sun could even launch into the fullness of all the speech, the father's cutting him off and interrupting him and showing him forgiveness. That's total, that's immediate, that's complete. And it's something of that moment that Rembrandt captures in this painting. When you go home, Google it, have a look. There is something beautiful in it. And we know, don't we, that Jesus' stories, when he tells parables, they have deeper meanings. And so on the surface, it's about a father and two sons. But actually, it's about more than that. It's the third in a series of parables. And in this one, Jesus is saying not just what it's like in heaven when something is found, but how that happens, how that foundness occurs. And so he uses the father and his two sons to illustrate to people, including when we read it today, you and me. And I wonder how many of us can identify with that younger son thing. Rather than enjoying our identity as God's children, we've gone off and tried to do it on our own. Sometimes in big spectacular ways, but more often than not, in little ways. Sometimes that we're not even fully conscious of. Where we make choices that we know wouldn't be our father's choice. And wouldn't be what God's best is for us. We wouldn't call it that. But it's like a leaving of home. It's like we're turning our back. And in his little book, Henry Nguyen describes it like this. He says, leaving home, talking about the younger son, is much more than a historical event bound to time and place. It's a denial of the spiritual reality that I belong to God with every part of my being. That God holds me safe and an internal embrace and that I'm indeed carved into the palms of God's hands and hidden in their shadows. Leaving home means ignoring the truth that God has fashioned me in secret, moulded me in the depths of the earth and knitted me together in my mother's womb. Leaving home is living as though I don't yet have a home. I must be looking for it far and wide, for one. I leave home every time I lose faith in the voice that calls me beloved and follow the voices that offer a great variety of ways to win the love that I so desire. And we do that, don't we? At times we're guilty of following other voices that are not the one that calls us beloved. And in those moments, it's all about what we desire what's best for us, what we think will work. Because I guess at stake is the answer to the question, well, to whom do we belong? Do we belong to ourselves or do we belong to God? And trying to answer that question without input from the Father, we may think we have it all, but actually it ends up costing us dearly. And we become like the prodigal in the story, faced with a decision over whether to stay in the, the pit of despair with the pigs or whether to go home to the Father. And that's why that twist that Jesus brings is so shocking and amazing. Because God the Father offers complete forgiveness to us. It's total, it's immediate. We may have left home, but he doesn't stop watching and waiting for us. And instead of making us a servant, he restores our dignity, he gives us back status as his children, His embrace is forgiving and restorative and somewhere where we can feel secure and loved. And it's interesting, in our Bibles we often look and it says the parable of the prodigal son or in mind the story of the lost son. And I said earlier about how some people would want to call it the parable of the forgiving father. Well actually there's that third person in it. And the interesting thing about Rembrandt's painting, if you look at it, is the father and son aren't in the centre of the picture. They're not in the middle. They're not in the middle because actually, while your eye is totally drawn to them, 
they're not the only person that your eye is drawn to. Your eye is drawn to them and you see, the, or certainly I do, you see the beauty in that embrace, but you can't help but notice that older son. You can't help but look at him because he's kind of just as lit up as the other two compared to some of the other characters that are a bit more shadowy. And in the story, the elder son is just as prominent as the younger son. He receives just as much attention. And his reaction receives just as much attention. You see, the parables and the parables, the Pharisees even, and the teachers of the law, they were grumbling with Jesus about who he chose to spend time with. And so as they're listening to the story that Jesus tells, because he's telling it in part to them, to make a couple of points, they're thinking that younger son is going to get exactly what he deserves, because that's how Jesus is building it up. And yet it twists, and they're surprised. But then Jesus doesn't just stop there. He goes on to talk about this older son, who in his attitude stays outside fuming He's missed out on what's going on. And so when the servant comes to tell him what's going on and that the father's celebrating the son that's come back, he doesn't want to have anything to do with it. He doesn't want to know. And isn't it interesting the language that Jesus uses? The servant tells him that his brother has come home. And the father comes out and says, this is why we're celebrating. Your brother's come home. But when the brother speaks, he says, this son of yours, creating total distance. It's not his brother. This son of yours. He's jealous. He's insecure. You can hear it dripping off his tongue. The contempt for what's going on as he compares himself and the way he's being treated to that of the younger son. He's been there serving the father the whole time. He's done his duty and then some. And now he has this inbuilt sense of entitlement. Because he's done this, this should be what he gets. And I don't know if he's ever been interested in it before, but now that the younger son has the fattened calf, well, he's going to complain that he's never even had a goat. All he can see is what the father's doing for the younger son and what it seems like he's not doing for him. And therein lies the issue. It's kind of similar to the younger brother in the end. He thinks it's all about him. He thinks that he's right, and he's at the centre, and everything should revolve around him, when in reality it doesn't, and it shouldn't. And what the father comes to remind him of is that all are welcome. And that when someone returns, a big celebration should happen. And actually, he knows the son has always been there. But everything that the father has is already the son's. He doesn't need to have that sense of entitlement because it's already his. He's asking him to stop him being so judgmental. And to open his eyes to what's going on. And if you see this son in this painting, he's dressed really similarly to the father. So he's on red robes. He looks really royal and regal. He's got a distinguished look in his face. But he's looking not at the younger son, but at the father, with that sense of disappointment on his face. He's come so close to everything, and yet is in danger of missing out on it all and on his identity because he's so busy judging others he's blind to what's already his he wants his father attention without realising that he already has it I wonder what the Pharisees thought as they heard some of that with what they were thinking And actually, Jesus is making the point in some ways that the elder son is so busy treating himself like a servant or thinking like a servant that he's forgotten the fact he's a son in the first place. He's living with a servant mentality instead of a son mentality. 
And sometimes I think we're like the sun on our knees, experiencing God's forgiveness. But other times I think we imagine ourselves a bit more like the elder brother, standing on the sidelines. And sometimes we can be quite guilty of judging others and being jealous of what's going on with others without realising or recognising what God has given us already. What our identity is as children of our Father that no one else can take away from us and that no one else can be like. And while in some ways we want to stay outside, what the Father does is invite us in. Where we're never meant to be out in the cold. Let me read to you something else that Noon says. He says that each child of God has his or her unique place. And all of them are places of God. I have to let go of comparison, of rivalry and competition and surrender to the Father's love. And it requires a leap of faith because I have very little experience of not comparing love. And I don't know the healing power of such a love. But as long as I stay outside in the darkness, I can only remain and the resentful complaint that results from my comparisons. Outside of the light, my younger brother seems to be more loved by the father than I. In fact, outside the light, I can't even see him as my brother. God is urging me to come home, to enter into his light, and discover that in God, all people are uniquely and completely loved. In the light of God, I can finally see my neighbour as my brother, as the one who belongs as much to God as I do, But outside of God's house, brothers and sisters, husbands and wives, lovers and friends become rivals and even enemies. It's by letting go of rivalry and comparison and judgments that we bring and get and experience even greater freedom than we could ever imagine. As we open ourselves to the love that God has for us, but also then the love that he has for other people as we suddenly see not just ourselves as the younger brother, but lots of others too. And we want for other people what the younger brother experienced. Something I listened to this week suggested that the way to check if you've got an older brother mentality is to think about how you feel when you meet someone new. What goes through your head? Do you meet them and want to find out about them? Or do you meet them and think, ah, they don't speak as well as I do? Or they're not dressed as nicely as I am? Or they're not from as good a background as I am? And perhaps if those are some of our thoughts, we might need to check our attitude and have the Father adjust it for us. Because as the Father lavishes his love on his younger son, he does the same with us. And with the elder son, both of his sons are treated uniquely. And both of them are his sons. And both of them are loved. And I wonder this morning, are we more like the younger brother? Or are we at times more like the older brother? Do we feel more like the older brother this morning? The thing I find most interesting about the parable is that Jesus doesn't quite finish the story. So it finishes with a celebration for the younger son. And I'm guessing the younger son's in the house celebrating. He's been outside with the older son. But Jesus doesn't tell us if the older son comes in. He leaves it there. He doesn't tell us if the younger son never made a mistake again. He doesn't tell us if the younger son never tried to go off again. He doesn't tell us any of that. He just leaves it. But like when you go to the movies and you see a good movie and you wish you knew what happened next. Sometimes it's like that. And and reading the parable, I kind of want to know what happens next. But we're not told. The rest of the story is left unwritten. And when it comes to us and our view of our identity and whether we're the younger son and we need God's forgiveness and embrace, or whether we're the older son, the rest of our story is unwritten. Where it goes from this morning, who knows? 
But as we think about our identity, we get to celebrate our relationship with our Father. And what a difference it would make to our story if we continued to live in that. And the fullness that all that brings from the Father who forgives and loves with abandon. So let's pray. Father, thank you that we get the privilege this morning of calling you Father. That we can know that we're your children. We confess that more often than we'd sometimes care to admit, we mess up. Sometimes in really big ways, but we know a lot of the time just in small ways. Where we make decisions and choices that are like leaving home, that are like turning our back on what you would have for us. And so this morning, would we know your forgiveness? Would we know your embrace? Would that surround us and gather us in? Restore us where we need restored. And other times, God, we recognize that we are people who are fallen and we are judgmental. And we don't always have the best attitude to others, um, whether in church or outside of church. Would you check our attitude for us? Would you help us to be secure in our identity as your children? Would you help us to know that we are unique and loved by you in a unique way? And to just rest in that? And not constantly be comparing ourselves to others or judging others. Would the rest of our story be written with you as Father? Where we know your love and we know that we are your children. And would that be something that continues from today onwards? For we ask it in your name. Amen. We're going to stand together and sing from the purple book, number 29.
Let us pray. Father, we give thee thanks for families where love grows and they are very close. We know they will have ups and downs, as that is part of life. Bless all families who worship here at HBC. Our thoughts are with families who find life difficult, some with many complex problems, those with someone who is terminally ill. Let us give thanks for the work of hospitals and hospices up and down the land. We pray for men and women who are living in volatile relationships and help children living in these circumstances to cope. This week we heard of the young women in India who have had acid thrown on their faces because they would not go through with an arranged marriage. Please bless the project there that is trying to help them rebuild their lives and get them back their self-esteem. In a world with so many problems, let us on this beautiful morning focus on thy creation. Help us, Lord, in our busy lives to delight in thy creation. Out of the grey of winter, the heart of earth, a shriek of green, one single shoot that quilts the path, speeding the sky, fighting upwards through February sleet, waiting to change, to break, to love the love of gold, the sunlight of spring. Amen. Lamb of God, we come just as we are, and we bring you gifts just as we are. 
knowing that everything we have comes from you in the first place. And so we pray like we pray often. Would you take what we've given and make it even more than we could imagine? And would you do even greater things than we can imagine with it? We bring it out of love for you. Would you use it so that your love's extended in this place? Amen. Let's stand together and sing our final hymn, number six, in Common Ground. to the church in Corinth he says so from now on we regard no one from a worldly point of view though we once regarded Christ in this way we don't do so any longer therefore if anyone is in Christ he is a new creation the old is gone and the new creation is here and all this is from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation God made him who had no sin to be sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. May that be true for us this week. Amen.